Committee Palm Sunday service on the 17th of April 2011, Andy Freeman explores the story of Christ's entry into Jerusalem. I don't know uh, if you're someone that likes stories. Um, stories tend to stick with me, and it's almost like there are some that kind of just go through my life. Uh, one of them I tend to rabbit on about quite a lot, which is a book called To Kill a Mockingbird. If you were at the book launch that we did a little while ago, you would have heard me talk about it, so apologies if you did. I promise I'll say something different. But it's, we're here celebrating a story tonight. We're going to enter a week of story that probably to us is very familiar. And yet in some ways it goes alongside a lot of other stories. It goes alongside the story of our own lives. As maybe as as you've done, as I've done tonight, just reflect on the stations of the cross around the walls in the church tonight. It, It reflects on my story as well as the story of Christ. But the story that we've read and heard this evening of of Jesus entering Jerusalem reflects on the story of Israel too, of their expectations. The reason I mentioned To Kill a Mockingbird is it's a story that I'm reminded of as I read this triumphal entry, as it's called tonight. It's a story which is full of unexpected turns and unexpected characters. If you've ever read it, the basic idea of the story is uh, that it's quite easy to find a scapegoat, particularly if you're in a place where the colour of your skin or the sort of person you are is a way you want to do that. But quite a lot of the story is dictated by the lives and the words and the ideas of children. And even as a kid, I can remember being impacted by German scouts but when I was little, the impact was playing the Boo Radley game where I'd go up to the scariest neighbours in my street's door and we'd see who could be the one that could get nearest to touching the door. That was called the Boo Radley game. Later on, as I began to understand the story a bit more, I began to realise these children were not just kids playing games alongside a main story, that they were the main story, that their way of interacting honestly and genuinely with people was the surprising and the challenging bit of the whole book. There's one instance where, and again, I'll try not to give away the story, read it if you haven't ever read it, but Atticus is the lawyer defending a man put up on a charge of rape, basically because he was in the wrong place and he had the wrong coloured skin. And Atticus is in front of the courthouse knowing that two families are going to come and try and kill this man that night. And he's there without a gun. And his kids find out about it and run to the courthouse. It's late at night. And there's a very tense standoff happening. But the the standoff is disarmed by Scout, a little girl, who recognises one of the people in the car and says hello kindly and treats them politely. And this event is so disarming that it takes all the heat out of the situation and they drive away. But as you begin to read the story and you read it through, you're both charmed and offended at the same time because Atticus kind of lets this happen you're charmed because there's this beautiful innocent girl being kind and disarming a situation and yet you're offended because you think well it shouldn't be like that 
And the triumphal entry, if we want to call it, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, is both wonderful and offensive. It's his ticker tape parade. Here, this is Jesus entering Jerusalem as Messiah. This is his moment. The palms are for victory. Hosanna is save us. But most of the crowd probably are expecting him to kick the Romans out any minute, to restore Israel's glory, to put everything back. Maybe this is the moment when Yahweh comes back to Mount Zion, when everything is put right. There are many celebrating there whose lives have been changed by this Jesus. Maybe Zacchaeus made it along. Mary's probably there. Certainly the friends of Lazarus, raised from the dead, are there. Maybe Nicodemus, the Pharisee, is amongst the crowd, wondering, one of the Pharisees believing but not daring to say, because he feared men rather than God. But in the midst of it, there's this silly, offensive, rather stupid donkey. And Jesus picks this out deliberately. If you read the account of Matthew, Jesus knows that this is a prophecy from Zechariah, that the Messiah will enter Jerusalem on a donkey. He goes and gets his disciples to find the right donkey. Suddenly his ticker tape parade is broken up because rather than a nice limo that he can sit on open top and take the adulation of the crowds, he's in a Skoda, sort of hopping along the road with the exhaust pelting out black smoke. A donkey doesn't fit, and yet a donkey was always the design. You have crowds celebrating, you have the Pharisees saying the whole world's going after him. You have Greeks coming and kind of fating him, some sort of entourage. We'd really like to talk to him, get some of his intellect, his wisdom. And suddenly Jesus starts talking about death. And suddenly everything's about dying, seeds falling to a ground, service, suffering, giving up of yourself. Suddenly his critics appear start asking him questions about his Bible knowledge like some sort of game of trivial pursuit. Suddenly we hear about unbelief. We hear about leaders who dared not speak out what they really think. The thing is, is that this is no triumphal entry. This is Jesus refusing to be a revolutionary, a political figure. This is Jesus refusing to be Rambo. And let's face it, that's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to come in with his guns or whatever the weapon of choice was at the time to lead the revolution. But he refuses to do that. A military leader who admired Jesus was Napoleon. And he said this of Jesus. I know men and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every person in the world, there is no possible comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? It's kind of, you know, Napoleon's not, you know, you're going to get a few compliments in the quote while he's at it. What did we rest the creation of our genius upon force? Jesus Christ founded his empire on love. And at this hour... Millions of men would die for him. Reading this story, we learn the way that Jesus Christ exerts his reign as king. 
And it's not and never with a gun. It's never with the force that people were expecting. There's no ticker tape. There's no takeover. This is the Jesus who next Sunday we celebrate raising for the dead, from the dead, who announces his resurrection to a woman who was a prostitute. He does it in a garden and he does it by saying her name. If you remember the story, he says Mary and suddenly from a gardener she sees her saviour. And I love that story because I'd love to speculate that maybe nobody ever quite said Mary's name quite like Jesus did. Maybe that's why she suddenly knew who he was. But to Mary, this wasn't a Rambo God. As we reflect on this story, I wonder how much we want a God who can make it all all right to walk into our lives. A God who will come and throw the Romans out of our hearts, out of our troubles, out of our concerns. I wonder how much we want that revolution instantaneously that if only it will happen, everything will be okay. And yet, really annoyingly, Jesus comes and stands in our pain and in our worry and rides a donkey with us. He talks about death and seeds and suffering and service. I wonder how you feel about that. It annoys me sometimes. But it's his way. And it's the way that leads to life. I wanted to read to you something at the end of the Bible from Revelation 21. Because this triumphal entry, if there's anything triumphal about it, is that this is the triumph of the kingdom of God, which is like no earthly kingdom. Jesus used language like kingdom and lord of lords that would have been associated with Roman rulers, and yet he did nothing like them. The kingdom of God has an endpoint, has a culmination, has something that we're working towards, has a promise for us. And it goes like this. This is Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. He's riding into our city. They will be his people and God will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. In this triumphal entry, Jesus is coming in amongst the crying and the pain and the tears and joining with them. But one day, they're going to get wiped away. Jesus ushered it in on a donkey and on a cross. But we also celebrate the resurrected Jesus who's going to take us, our tears, our pain, our death. And he loves us. I wonder if you could just take a moment just to be quiet. See if anything 
sticks with you, anything that God wants to speak to you about. This is Atticus from To Kill a Mockingbird. I wanted you to see what real courage is. Instead of getting the idea that a courage is a man with a gun in his hand, it's when you know you're licked before you begin anyway and you see it through no matter what. You rarely win, but sometimes you do. Lord, we thank you for your way, not with gun or revolution, but with love, with presence with us, that you know our lives and you come and ride your donkey with us. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net. Thank you.